Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for life and leadership in Christ. Today on the podcast, director and producer extraordinaire, Adam Anders. Adam's got a brand new film out that you may have heard about called Journey to Bethlehem. It's a musical, it's amazing, it's got some incredible actors in it, and I absolutely loved jumping into this conversation with Adam. He was such a gift. We talk about leading, we talk about creating, we talk about what it means to give space to a story that everyone knows and yet has to be told a little differently. Such a good conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. If you do, do me a huge favor. Share this episode with a friend. Maybe somebody who you're going to go see the film with. Let them know you heard it here on the podcast. As always, I'm incredibly thankful for y'all. And now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with director, producer, and writer, Adam Anders. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today to have uh, producer and director extraordinaire Adam Anders. Adam, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. So um, we're going to jump into all of your projects in just a minute, but you've done so many things over the years. One of the questions I kind of like to start with that's more abstract is, is about your calling. How would you define the calling that God has placed on your life? Man, um, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think the honest answer, I've been working that out my whole life, you know, mm. to some degree, I think it evolves, you know, um, I definitely never felt called to preach to the choir. You know, I grew up in the ministry, um, my whole life, ministry and missions, uh, both my parents, um, I tour, travel the world, I do missionary and mission and, uh, ministry work. And, um, that was awesome. And then I went from that into Christian music was where I started. And I just didn't feel that's where I belonged. And, um, and I just felt called, you know, to, to just go into mainstream, you know, to do, uh, whatever I could to be, you know, salt and light. And, um, but it's a tough one. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but that's not easy either. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, every day I'm, I'm trying to work out what my calling is, you know, um, little by little. One of the things we say around one of the things we say around here a lot is that if you're not uh, dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. Wow. Yeah. And so I'm always curious about somebody's disciplines, especially someone like you who, who has a, a foot in, in, in a very contrasting different mm-hmm. parts of the world. How do you stay disciplined in the faith and to that commitment of working out your calling? Look, I... I think a big part of it for me is a striving for excellence and, and being good and whatever, whatever God has placed us um, where we are right now. Number one, to be really diligent and um, uh, in, in the place that we are. And it might not be where you want to be at the moment, um, but to be disciplined, to be faithful in the little things and then God will give you more. And I've literally lived by that. Um, and I started, you know, as a bass player. Um, I could never have dreamt that I was going to be directing major motion pictures. I never thought that far ahead, but in that moment, I worked the hardest I could to be the best I could be at that thing of where God had placed me at that point in my life. And at that time it was, you know, being the best bass player in the world. That was my mission, you know, and I didn't know where that was going to lead me. Um, and I think, yeah, I think, man, distractions are everywhere, right? Everything is designed to throw us off our path and where God wants us. And, 
um, we have to be on the lookout for that on a daily basis. I think we have to recenter ourselves every day and like, you know, God's will be done today through me. Um, and I really have to live that out living in a place like LA. Um, talk about being bombarded with distractions and things designed to, <laughs> to throw you off. Um, so that's, it's a discipline, you know, I, I don't, there's no easy answer to that. I think you just have to do it every day, reset one, one foot in front of the other and keep trying. Uh, I'm better at it some days than others, but I think, um, <clears throat> it's pretty amazing, man. When we, when we kind of let God take over, we do our part and we, we work hard and we, we were diligent in what we have at the moment, how much God opens doors and how he leads and how, man, when I look back at my life, it's, it blows me away, you know, to see his hand at work and how he's woven things together and relationships and people have come into my life. And it's just crazy, really. Even this movie, it's insane how this all came about. Yeah, I would imagine so you've had a ton of success in your career from Glee and uh, the different projects. How, how do you know what the right project to say yes is? Uh, like, how do you discern that, you know, kind of that nudge from God to say, oh, I should I should work on this or I shouldn't do that? Because I would imagine you turn down a ton of work to get to the right work. Um. You know, there's there's your passion projects and there's provision projects, you know. No, I like that. <laughs> I think we all have those. Um, sometimes you're just like, you know, am I supposed to do this, God? And God's like going, yo, I put this in front of you. <laughs> like, do it. Uh, you need the money or whatever it is. Don't. Um, but at the same time, you know, the struggle, um, I think everyone can relate to this um, who's, who's a Christian working in the world. Look, most people work in the world. That's what's funny. And so people look at the arts and they go, well, you should only do Christian art. I'm like, well, you don't just do Christian doctors and Christian nurses and attorneys and everything else. Everyone's working in the world. That's what we do. It's our mission field. So to then if you're in the arts to pull all of us out of pop culture and just turn it over <laughs> to the other side, here you go here, influence the entire world without any influence from Christians. I don't believe that. Um, so yeah, I think, um, I forgot your question cause I got all passionate, but anyway. how do you discern, how do you discern the right yeses and the right no's? Yeah. The right. Yes. Yeah. I think, um, I look, you pray about it. You pray about every, every opportunity that's put in front of you. You know, every time I haven't listened to that voice, you know, to, to what call it, you got the Holy spirit. Um, you know, I believe they're one and the same to some degree. I think this Holy Spirit's always prodding us and talking to us and saying, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. And we ignore it all the time. <laughs> We're like, no, I know what's best. I'm going to go do this. It goes horribly wrong for me when I don't listen to that small voice. Um, yeah. And I've learned that, you know, through hardship and to, to listen, like, don't do this. And I go, okay, now I've learned because I'm not as stupid as I was when I was younger um, to listen. And okay, I'm not doing it. And there's other things that I've done that people are like, how can you do this? How can you call yourself a Christian and work on this show or this movie? And, um, you know, I've been asked that to my face, you know, at church. And those are tough you know, conversations. And um, <clears throat> I think, um, you know, it's not an easy answer, but um, I'm following my calling, not someone else's. And, you know, I know the inner workings of what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis. I know how I'm interacting with people behind the scenes. I know what that mission field looks like. You don't. Hmm. So you shouldn't judge what I'm doing um, until you walk a day in my shoes. You know, um, we there's Christians all over LA that are having huge influence, you know, in pop culture. 
And I don't believe we should disengage. I just don't. That's what, what Christ did. And I don't think we should either. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I, the, the latest project, the journey to Bethlehem is this incredible musical retelling of the, the birth of Christ. How, how does something like that come to be born? This, this is like super creative for Christian films. If I as somebody who's watched a ton of them in my life, yeah. like getting a sense of, of how this thing was put together, it just feels a little different than some of the others. How did this project get put before you and like, hey, we should do a musical about Mary and Joseph and Jesus's birth? Well, I think God put it in front of me. Uh, he put it on my heart a long time ago. It was I, We've tried to do the math. I think it was 17 years ago when I had the idea. Um, and I was just visiting uh, Iowa, actually, my wife's family for Christmas. And um, I had the idea. idea and um, I sat down that that vacation, it was, I don't know, we were there two weeks and I worked and I wrote a 12 page treatment, um, called journey Bethlehem. And, um, that's when this idea was birthed. And a lot of things that were in that treatment are in this movie uh, mm. and, and have stuck with me. And, you know, as a creative, you have ideas, you know, good ideas, bad ideas, ideas that come to fruition, other ones you have to let go of and just move on. Like I wasn't such a good idea since nobody wants to do it. This is one I have literally not been able to shed, uh, and there's been starts and stops and disappointments. It's been a roller coaster for all these years trying to get it made. And um, but I haven't been able to move on. And I've moved on from so many ideas I've had. Um, but this one, I just knew I was supposed to make this movie when it was God's time, hmm. right? And um, you know, I think it's finally God's time. And I think I've been in training for 17 years to make this movie. Really, I've been living here in LA, working with the best of the best, um, and learning. You know. Um, so when it's finally, it all came together and, and I got to direct this movie and write it, um, man, I couldn't have done it five years ago. I don't think, you know, it was just, this is the right time. And, um, COVID, which was a nightmare, uh, on many levels, but it was also the first time in my life where I had so much time on my hands to do nothing but focused on one thing. And I took that opportunity, um, to rewrite this movie, to rewrite the script and, and, um, I had so much peace and clarity, so I sat down and did it, and then I took a big step of faith. I attached to direct it, you know, which I had resisted for years, and I didn't want to do this, and I've been asked to direct other things, and I've always had lots of projects going on, and I know once you start directing, you have no time for anything else. It mm. takes over your whole life, um, and that's that was scary for me because as a first-time director versus a 20-year veteran doing what I'm doing, and I had a really cush gig, and I do really well. At this thing, I have to walk away from that and start over at this point in my life. And then what if I fail? What if I'm not good at it? You know, so it was a big step of faith, but I felt I was supposed to do it. And um, so I dove in and man, everything just started coming together. And God's hands been on this project. I think from that moment where I just kind of gave it over to him, I said, this is your movie. I'm your vessel. I'm going to do my best. That's all I can do. <laughs> and I have to trust that you've prepared me for this and um, I, I think he did. I, I'm curious about um, the process of of from treatment to production. You're now not only are you the kind of the founder of this idea, but you're now the leader of this crew. And there's a lot more people speaking into it. But yet, this is still kind of your baby, your idea. You have a vision. God has clearly given you a vision. How do you decide as a leader? When is the right time to let go of something that you thought it should be away versus 
leaning in and saying, nope, I'm drawing a line in the sand here. It's got to be this way because this is the way I saw it from the beginning. Like, What's the mm. what's that leadership process like? Because I, I can't imagine, you know, in the in the corporate world, we call it founder syndrome where you mm-hmm. only see it one way. But you've gathered a, a an incredible group of people around you for this film. It's got, I'm sure it morphed to something that you didn't initially imagine. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's everything I, I imagined and more, um, frankly. And I think that's because of the people that God brought into this project, which by the way, are believers, non-believers. We've got Oscar winners. We've got people that have shown up from the 20 years I've spent in this town. I've built relationships and trust and, and some, you know, people that showed up for me. Um, and so we're kind of punching above our weight class, if you will. But, um, I think two things, um, if you, you know, I, I come from music, so this might be relatable to some, but <clears throat> I can write a song. I can do the whole production. I can do everything in my house, on my computer, put a track out, blah, blah, it'll be good, sound great. Or I can go to a studio and I can hire the best musicians in the world to come. Here's the song I've written. Let's do this together. It'll be different, but it'll be the same basic concept, but it'll probably be way better mm-hmm. because now I've got seven brilliant people working on the same idea. So my, I took that concept and what I've been doing as a music producer my whole career and applied it to film production. So for me, it was, why would I have all these brilliant talents around me if I don't listen to them? You know, so many leaders don't want to listen. No, it's my way or the highway. I know everything. No, you don't. <laughs> I don't know everything. I don't know everything about costume design and production design and cinematography and all these different things that there are brilliant people right? They're the best in class at these things. I would be a terrible leader and a bad director if I didn't listen to them. But then it's my job to filter that and go, that's a great idea. That doesn't work. Mm. Right. And then it's their jobs to listen to me as a leader and go, we trust you when I say no. So the policy was like, I want to hear every idea. Best idea wins, but it's got to go through my filter at the end so that I keep us on the tracks. You know, I'm the bumpers making sure that the vision stays true the whole time. And I have the big picture in mind. So I think that's <clears throat> that was kind of my leadership style, and it kind of has been throughout my career. Um, why bring these great people in if you're not going to listen to them, number one? Then two, you know, you've got the corporate side. You've got the studio there on set. You've got different people with different opinions who have power and, and are my boss, really, that are paying for the movie. So then you have to figure out, well, when do I listen? When do I fight? Right? <laughs> When you stand up for what you believe, when you let it go. And really what I did, honestly, every day I prayed. I started every day literally on my knees. And I haven't done that in my life. And I literally did it as a, um, it was kind of symbolic for me just personally. Mm. To just, I'm handing this over. I'm humbling myself. I'm not going to get the director ego. I'm not going to do this thing. Um, This is your film, not mine. So every day I'd pray, help me to know what to fight for. Mm. You know, give me the discernment and the wisdom to know when I should fight and when I should let it go and listen. And it's a hard thing to do because you've had this baby for 17 years and you have it all in your head. And then someone's coming at you with a different take. Do I fight you or do I go, you know what, let me try it your way. And and it just became a case by case thing. And that's when I had to listen to that little voice. Uh, and I just, um, I got pretty good at it. The first couple weeks were, were hard and then we really found a rhythm and, and it was just a great uh, feeling and vibe on set and everybody felt we were part of something different. Um, 
so I think those are those are two techniques, if you will, that I use. But but also, it's very very important that the leader, the one everyone's looking at you, that you have the right attitude and you set the tone from the top down. Mm-hmm. And it was very important to me to make this set feel different than any other set anyone had been on because of what we were making. One of the interesting things, um, as I was kind of looking at how this all came together, is there's some really star-studded names on this. Some incredible people, you know, Lecrae, Antonio Banderas, Fiona, uh, Palamo, Milo. I mean, just like everybody, there's some heavy hitters. Everybody in my mm-hmm. family knew who they all were. So, mm-hmm. and everybody was super excited about the trailer and everything else. How do you create a culture? Um, you know, as you said, punching above our weight class. How do you create a culture of humility? on a set like that where everybody who has done some pretty amazing things, and those are only the the actors. I'm sure there's even more brilliant people behind the scenes. How do you create a culture of humility in the midst of um, such, I, I'm going to use big names. I don't know how else to say it, but. You know, <clears throat> it's a great question. Um, I think experience, obviously I've, I've worked with some big names my whole career and, sure. I think there's there's two things that I've used um, that I think that worked very well when I've worked with the Tom Cruises and Meryl Streeps and whoever I worked with in my career, and it's being honest. I tell them the truth, and and I do it, you know, um, in love, and I do it, you know, in a in a kind manner, and you know, but and I do it in private. Usually, you never want to call someone out in front of other people. I never do that. You take them aside, and then I think what happens is most of these stars are never told the truth right? They're told that they want to hear what the people around them think they want to hear so they can keep them in their circle. I've never done that. I've been like, here's the truth. And I'm telling you the truth because it's my job to protect you. Because the world and the people who are going to watch this film or listen to you singing it or whatever it was I was doing, my job is to make sure they only see the best, right? They only see the good stuff. It's my job to tell you the truth when something's not working, right? And then what happens is they they trust you because they know you're not going to BS them and they're going to tell them the truth. And then you build this bond, um, you know, somebody like Antonio Banderas, the, the most important thing for somebody of that stature is to know they're safe. Yeah. You know, on that they know they're being protected, that I'm watching them and I'm making sure that they're protected. And that's my number one job. Whether it was in the recording studio, um, somebody's singing something the wrong way, or if it's on set and it's a scene, or if it's an outfit that they're wearing, whatever it is, um, if you build that trust with them by being honest and truthful, um, they'll they'll want to work with you more, hundred um, percent. You know, lying to people to telling telling them what they want to hear has never helped anybody in their careers. As the director. Um, do you have to be intentional about putting people like that in your circles too, or does that come automatically with the process or like, how do you know who, who in your life along this journey is like, Oh, Adam, this is what you need to hear. Here's the truth. They pull you aside then in the same manner, what you just talked about, how, how do you get intentional about those communities when something is so intense and you're charged with leading it? Mm-hmm. Well, it is lonely, you know, at the top, as they say, you know, when you're everybody, everything is on your shoulders and it's my call at the end of the day. It's a lonely position to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's God. And then it's my wife. Um, my wife is my secret weapon. 
she's the one who's brutally honest with me um, all my life, or all my life, all our lives together, which is 20, uh, 25, 26 years now. Um, and she's been that for me. Um, she also co-wrote this movie with me, or the musical, um, and uh, all the songs. So that's pretty special. And we've always worked together, so she's always there, you know, kicking me under the table and pinching me and telling me what I don't want to hear right after a conversation ends, you know. I think we all know that, and, and I think, I don't know, we're risk of sounding um, whatever the opposite of woke is, asleep. Uh, I think most successful men have an incredible woman behind them. Amen. And, and that's just the truth. Um, and that's how, you know, I really believe uh, it's supposed to be. You know, we're a team, uh, my wife and I. And if she won't tell me the truth, then who will, you know? And, um, and if you don't trust that person, you're probably with the wrong person, you know? So I'm with the right person. And she tells me the truth. And as much as I don't want to hear it, I call her the Jolly Reaper is her nickname because with a smile on her face, she'll tell me the worst possible thing I could ever want to hear about that. myself. And she's just smiling. And I'm like, oh, gosh, really? Now, the one thing she's got to work on is her timing. I don't know if anybody else has that. But what she says is always true. It's just she picks the worst possible time to say it to me, which we're working on. Maybe in another 25 years, we'll get that figured out. Uh, how'd you guys meet? I love to hear a good love story. We met. She was the founding member of Avalon, a Christian group. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've heard of Avalon before. Yeah. And I was, um, so she sang Testify to Love and Adonai and all these great songs um, on the first couple albums. Um, and I was Stephen Curtis Chapman's bass player. And we ended up on a tour uh, with m multiple Christian artists uh, called the My Upmost First Highest Tour. We're throwing it way back. Mm. And uh, we were... Yeah, we were the by far the youngest on the tour, she and I, and and we um, became friends, uh, frankly, um, on that tour. And then a few months later, we we ran into each other on another tour, and that's that's when um, we, yeah, I think we started dating soon after that tour. And and our first date was a writing session. She had signed with Columbia Records as a solo artist, and she was flirting with me. She's like, you know, we should write a song together. I'm like, I'd like that, sure. And then we wrote a song, and that was our first date. And we're still writing songs 25 years later, uh, and they're all in this movie. So um, there's a, actually a lot of nuggets in this movie that are from our relationship, and I think every writer does that. Um, some really fun... I don't want to spoil it, but there's a moment at the altar with Mary and Joseph that is straight out of my own wedding, so... Oh, I can't, <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, you, you know, one of the interesting things about this is that you're writing about something that everybody has an opinion about in terms of like, if you're a Christian, you grew up listening to the the Christmas story and you're putting a, a musical and dramatic experience to it. And, and not that the, the story doesn't need much help in terms of like drama, but it needs, it probably needed a lot of help for film and for mm. to be, obviously to become a musical, uh, what was that process like for you um, putting this together like that? Yeah, I mean, look, whenever you take on a story like this, you're basically putting a target sign on your face, right? <laughs> right, um, right. I mean, especially today, it's brutal, man. Like the world we live in, our favorite pastime is to tear people down and tear down fellow Christians, too. It seems like that's that's our favorite thing to do, and it's sad, sure. but... I went through it with the passion. I did a show called the passion for Fox, which was a live event with Tyler Perry. And it was the Easter story. Mm -hmm. And it was just crazy, the vitriol. And then of course it did really well because most people are not like that. It's just the loud ones. Right. Right. But, um, look, this is not a documentary. 
I did not make a documentary. I made a musical. I know everything in this movie is not exactly what happened. They also didn't break into dance and song to pop music, right? So I get it. Um, um, at the same time, it was incredibly important for me to protect the canon, if you will. Like, what are the things that are non-negotiable for me and affect the gospel story, right? When the wise men showed up at the manger does not affect the gospel and the truth right. of it. it. makes no difference to me. The frankincense and myrrh, I play with that a lot because as a kid, I had no idea what myrrh was. And I'm mm. like, what is myrrh? So I play with that. And most kids are always thinking the same thing. That doesn't change why Jesus came. Right. <laughs> right. But yet that's those are the things that like attack about. I'm like, come on, guys, like this doesn't matter. And and I was actually agonizing over the timeline because the wise men probably came three years after Jesus was born. OK, right. fair enough. But you know what? Every nativity scene I've ever seen has them there with the baby. Right. Every artist depiction, yeah. every little thing in my church or in my house, um, every painting in the museum by the greatest artists in history they're all there. It's a nativity scene. It's not a nativity, biblical, accurate account, right? It's an artist depiction. And I said, well, if they can take that liberty, so can I. Because I need the wise men for the whole movie for comic relief for the kids. No family movie works with a, without comic relief. And I can't have Mary being like jokey the whole movie, right? So these are the things you think about when you're trying to craft a movie, right? The Bible is not a movie even though there's some amazing stories in it and the greatest stories ever told, but it wasn't designed to be a musical. <laughs> right? So I'm like, you got to give me a little leeway. So I was actually talking to a friend. I was really agonizing over the timeline issues. I'm like, this isn't exactly like, can I do this? Like, what do I do? And he's an Oscar winning director, writer who you would know who it is, but I'm not going to say who it is, but um, he just stopped and he goes, dude, nobody's going to remember your movie because the timeline is accurate. They're going to remember it if it's great. Hmm. Make a great movie. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's pretty good. All right. And it's true, right? We're so yeah. worried about being attacked about this or that or with the other that we make bad art. But bad art doesn't help further the kingdom. Sure. What's that going to do? If this movie stunk, but the timeline was accurate, what are we talking about? You know, so there's things like that, or I've gotten crap because, oh, you know, he wasn't born in a, in a barn. He was born in a cave. All right. You try shooting in a cave, <laughs> right? You can't shoot a movie in a cave. There's one way in, it's really echoey and you can't get lights in there. And by the way, there aren't any in Spain. I looked, right? So I'm like, again, <laughs> every nativity scene is a barn. I'm making it a barn. Sue me. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, what are you going to do? You can't possibly make everyone happy. If you try to make something for everyone, you make it for no one. Yeah. That's the reality. So I made the movie God put in my heart, the vision he gave me. Some people are not going to be happy with every detail of it, but you know what? If you watch this movie and you can't tell how much this story means to me and that it's part of my story and I believe it, I put it at the beginning of this film based on a true story that was important to me that you know the filmmaker believes it's true, hmm. right? That's huge. Uh, and then at that point, we do a whole funny comedic, comedic scene to start the movie, so you know what you're watching. This is a right. family comedy musical for hopefully every generation to sit down together at Christmas when you gather and actually see what Christmas is about rather than Santa Claus. 
So that's what I did. Sorry, that was a lot. No, I love that. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. Let's preach. I'm here. Let's. And the problem for me is I think that the Christian audience are the ones who are super critical. Like mm-hmm. the the non Christians, they don't, you know, they don't they don't even know the difference between the the barn and the cave, nor do they care, right? And, and maybe maybe the Christians could just relax a little bit. All if you're a Christian, and you're listening. Relax. It's not relax. That, I promise. Chill it's out, not, guys. Yeah. Just the gospel it's, it's, is the good news, and it's not dependent upon any of the environmental things. No. <laughs> and you just hit it though, non Christians. And coming back to what I said in the beginning, my calling was not to make things for Christians. My calling is to make things for everyone else. Mm. So how do I frame the story for everyone else? Not water it down, because there's no doubt what I, what the gospel message is when you right. watch this movie. I'm not watering anything down. But I have to frame it in a way to where it'll appeal. It'll appeal and it'll penetrate defenses and get to the core in people's souls and move them. And I think people are watching this movie and they're moved by it. Yeah. And then hopefully they ask questions and they go read the Bible and actually see, you know, exactly what happened. And by the way, there's only a few verses. Right. There's Matthew <laughs> 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. That's all we got. They don't talk about Mary and Joseph's relationship. They don't talk about what it was like for Mary to have this task and to have to see it through for nine months. None of that's in there. Right. Um, so what I say is I lived in the in-betweens. Hmm. Right. In between the verses, there's a lot of time passing. You know, she didn't, Gabriel didn't come and then she had the baby tomorrow. Right. Right. She had to live with this for almost a year and the shame and they should have stoned her for this. And Joseph should have stoned her. He shouldn't have married her. He shouldn't have taken the child as his own and taken the stain upon him and his family, but he did. It's an amazing love story. Yeah. Right. And nobody's ever talked about it. So I wanted to explore that. Did they marry for love or for duty? And that's, you know, we examine that in this film, I think in a really fun, beautiful way. As a leader, um, not just in this film, but in, in all the work that you've done, it's really easy for people to take um, pot shots at you, to criticize your work once it's out there in the world. And the truth is creative people um, are a lot like pastors in the sense that they live on the platform kind of with a, a megaphone or a microphone kind of there. And, and everybody wants it to be relational, but there's just a truth to it that, that mm. people are criticized work. How, how do you deal with um, the critical nature of of humanity? Mm. Man, it's getting hard, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I feel like we just get more and more critical, um, more and more divisive. Uh, you know, I feel like our nature right now as a society is to only look for the bad things. We're not looking at the good things. Yeah. Right? You can look at this movie and you can point out the things you don't like. Well, how about you look at it and look for the things you like? But we've all put this lens on this of I'm going to just try to find things I don't like. And when you try to find things you don't like, you're going to find it. It is such a negative, destructive way to live. Yeah. And that's not what we're called to do as Christians. The number one thing we're called to do is to love, to love each other, love our neighbors. It's not loving to go, you suck. <laughs> you're bad. <laughs> Everything you do is bad. I don't know if I can say that word on here. You can. Uh, <laughs> um it's just, it's so counterintuitive to the gospel. Like, what are we doing? No, we should try to lift each other up, especially fellow Christians, but we don't do that. And, you know, I think earlier in my life, um, as an artist, I'm a sensitive artist. I used to be anyway. And I think working all these years in Hollywood as a Christian, I definitely got alligator skin, you know, built up 
um, which I didn't have early in my career at all. And everything hurt. And I took it personally. And I just have to like live in the truth that, that God is my defender. I don't have to defend myself. You know, I, I can't change what other people do. I can't control what other people do. I can only control what I do. And we all have a circle of influence, you know, that we can <laughs> do, but that stuff's outside my circle of influence, you know, and um, gosh, it's not always easy and to ignore the noise because there's so much of it today. Um, you know, look, I'm not immune to it, but I'm much better at coping with it than I was when I was younger. Um, and I knew what I was signing up for, uh, with this, that I was going to get attacked and I've been attacked, um, every day. Uh, I think there's spiritual attacks, um, besides the actual attacks, verbal attacks from people, but there's an actual spiritual element to this, um, of trying to stop this story, stop what we're doing. Um, and it's been the hardest year of my life easily, hmm. easily the hardest year of my life in every way, shape or form. Um, but that means we're on to something, you know, that's how I look at it. The more attacks come, the more I think I'm on the right path. Uh, in the midst of this struggle, um, how would you articulate what you've learned about God's character? Um, well, you know, God is always there. You know, we say God, God left me or God leaves me. No, he doesn't. We, we move away from him. I think the amazing thing that I found through all this, when I draw near to him, he's there immediately. Hmm. And I found that in, it, it's crazy because as hard as this year has been, I've never think been closer to God. You know, it's like he uses these moments to teach us things. And by the way, that's an amazing thing to pray every morning is teach me what I need to learn through the struggle. Um, help me to see what I need to see, what you, what you want me to learn. And um, it's been as hard as this year has been. I, I think I've learned more about myself, more about my faith. I've grown stronger in my faith. And I've looked at, it's been a reminder of how God has his hand on us, you know, mm. and how he is in control and that he is weaving things together for good, for what he wants to accomplish, not what I want to accomplish. And um, I look back at my career and, and I think it'd be, it's really good to stop sometimes and by the way, keep a journal. I kept a journal every day on this. I always, I write down, because we forget what God has done in our lives yeah. so quickly. Yeah, It's like, what have you done for me lately, God? Well, guess what? He's done a lot. And you just forgot because you're a narcissist. <laughs> you know? uh, and I like to look back and I go, oh man, I forgot. Look at this. Look at his hand at work. And that gives you so much confidence moving forward. And it bolsters your faith. He uses those moments to teach us things to then help us to deal with more things that are coming. Hmm. We're constantly growing, we're, you know, um, his work isn't done in any of us. So this is all part of the process. Um, but the most, the number one takeaway for me is that he is right here with us in the midst of our struggle and he's not leaving us. So it's interesting, right? I, I love your passion and how this kind of the origin story of this uh, musical, I've never completed something that's been in my heart for that long as as kind of I hear you tell the story as as you're almost to the point where this musical is in the world like we're we're, we're just about 30 days away as we record this um how does it feel to have something that started so long ago deep in the depths of your heart 
like be out in the world and then and then where do you go after you've after this is done, <laughs> after this is out you know like once the genie's out of the bottle what do you do next you know i've been thinking about this a lot um the last few weeks because um it's a monumental thing that this movie's coming out <laughs> finally, right? Right. And it could be a monumental disaster, right? It could do really poorly. There's a strike. Nobody can promote the movie. I mean, even that's crazy, right? I've been trying to make it for 17 years and that's there's a strike, Rick, really? My cast can't even say they're in the movie. I mean, that's just nuts. Um so it could do well, it could not do well at all. And I think there's two things that I've been <clears throat> kind of praying about and meditating on is that I'm not defined by the success of this movie. Hmm. I'm not. I'm just not, right? I know I did what God called me to do. I'm proud of the movie. I did it to the best of my ability. I know it's a good movie. What happens now is not up to me. And I've, I have a piece that even if nobody watches this movie and it was just about making it, right, I can live with that. Yeah. Because of the way I've grown, the people I've come in contact with, the way even on set, the, the things that happened and the people that were moved and touched by this, that was a mission field, making this movie. And if that's all that it was supposed to be, then I can live with that. It was still worth you know, all the hardship. Um, and I completed the task God put on my heart. You know? yes. And I think that's the victory we have to celebrate. We're, we're, we're so quick to go on to the next thing that we don't stop to celebrate the wins. You know, this is a, a huge victory to have finished this movie after all these years and that the vision I had was protected throughout the process, even with all the different cooks in the kitchen and people coming alongside and having opinions, whatever. I got to make the movie that was on my heart all these years. Hmm. I can 100% say this is the movie I wanted to make. Not a many first time directors can say that. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's coming out in theaters worldwide, like 5000 theaters. Um, I don't, I'm done. Like I could retire. Like <laughs> we did it, you know, yeah. uh, mission accomplished. I don't know what the next thing God's going to put in my heart to do. I know it's coming. I can sure. already feel it brewing, but I think I need to take a little sabbatical first or my wife's going to be very mad. But, um, <clears throat> I think we need to celebrate. We need to look for the victories and celebrate yeah. them and thank God for them. Um, because his idea of success is so different than ours in the world's. Mm -hmm. You know, does this do hundred million in the box office or five? I don't know. It's still a success. Yeah. We made it. It's always going to exist. It's going to be in the world. If it touches one life, it was worth it. You know, I made the passion. We talked about this um, live event for, uh, with Fox and it was the Easter story uh, a few years ago. And I was in Sweden. I'm Swedish and I was visiting um, there and I was on a little fishing trip with a neighbor in Sweden who's not a Christian um, but he likes musicals and he started talking about this show. His sister who teaches religion in the high school, uh, in Sweden has been teaching Christianity to her students through this musical. Oh, wow. And she thought he should watch it and he watched it and he was blown away by it. And he was wearing the CD out and just, it was the most amazing thing. And it moved him and touched him. And he's an atheist and he was watching mm. the passion. And I stood there and I looked at him and I go, that's my show, man. <laughs> I did that show. <laughs> I'm on a fishing boat in the middle of nowhere, Sweden. And this dude's life has been touched by this show that I did in America. Um, that's the power of what we're doing here. Yeah. 
And maybe that whole process was for him. I love it. Um, okay, I have one more question for you, but before I ask it, I know that everyone's going to want to learn uh, more about the film and you. Where is the best place to learn all things Journey to Bethlehem and and uh, and the work that you'll continue to be doing? Well, you can go to journeytobethlehemmovie.com um, to find out everything. Buy tickets. You can pre-order tickets. Um, it's Like I said, it's a wide release, so it's everywhere. The soundtrack's coming out uh, a week before. Actually, our first single comes out uh, Friday the, what is it, the 13th of October. Mm. I don't know when this is airing, but um, so, yes, yeah, sharing the music will help get the word out. You know, my big thing is, you know, help us, you know, get the word out for this movie because, um, like I said, with the strike, there's a lot of opposition, um, a lot of challenges, but I really do think this is the movie you can bring your neighbors to, your unsaved friends you know, it's a big ask to invite your neighbors, your un, you know, saved friends and neighbors to church right. or to home group. That's hard, man. Um, this is not hard. Like, go watch a movie with them. Mm. You know, buy popcorn. They're going to love this movie, believers, non-believers, and they're going to be moved by it. Um, so this is a great tool for that. Um, there's also actually an initiative Fandango is doing with us where you can buy tickets for people in need. Mm. You can donate tickets to the movie. Uh, it's very cool. So all that's available on journeytobethlehemmovie.com. Um, so, you know, and follow us on all the social media platforms. JTB Movie is our handle on every single platform. Um, but, yeah, it's it's coming November 10th, theaters worldwide. Um, <laughs> we'll see what happens, It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I mean, my first and last movie or my first of many. I don't no, know we'll no, no. You, you, I, I believe in it. It's, this looks really good. Uh, okay, last question I love to mm-hmm. ask people. It's an advice question. Uh, mm-hmm. I invite you to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the season of life that you're in. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard one. Uh, I'm going to take you back um, to the day after you were married uh, because I, I love the way that you talked about your wife. Um, the day after your wedding day, if you could pull up a chair to that younger version of yourself, Sit knee to knee with him, look him in the eyes, hold his hands, and give him one piece of advice about what was about to happen to him uh, in this next season of life. What are you telling him? Oh, man, there's a lot. Um, Well, focusing on, look, the fact that we're married you know, after 25 years in this business is a miracle in itself. Um, but I think, um, be present. I think that's the thing that pops in my head because I think that's the thing I struggle with the most is we, we talked about distractions, right? Mm-hmm. Well, distractions come and they keep you from being present and appreciating the moment you're in and appreciating the one you're in the moment with. And it's, it's designed to break our connections with our loved ones. And um, everything in life is, is trying to break that connection and it's succeeding a lot of people. But if we can just take a few minutes every day and be present and look our loved one in the eye, look your wife in the eye, your husband, whatever it may be, and listen to them and stop thinking about yourself for five minutes and just hear them out. Um, I think um, that would have been good to to know. I've learned that, uh, you know, the hard way. Sure. 
um, a lot of tears and a lot of tough times of, you know, not seeing how busy we get and we're just chasing these things and we're acquiring stuff and accolades and successes. And I'm like, I can't take any of this with me when I'm on my deathbed. Then I can go, man, nice gold records, dude. Mm. You know, nobody cares. You know, it's who's standing around you on that deathbed. Right. And um, so being more present um, from the beginning of my marriage and with my kids, you know, um, that's a daily struggle. But that's one I would have tattooed on my forehead if I could have <laughs> when I was younger. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm going to try again today. You know? But it's not easy, man. Amen. It's not easy. Adam, this was such a joy. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and for your oh, you. joyful obedience to follow the call that God has put on your life. Um, we're praying for you and for this film and that uh, that many lives will be touched as a result of it. So thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I told you guys what a great conversation with Adam. I was so thankful for his heart, for the way he told the story, his creative insights. Such a fun and life-giving episode. If this episode was helpful for you, do me a favor. Let Adam know that you heard him here on the podcast. Tag him on a post or share this on Instagram. As always, every time you do that, it goes such a long way in helping tell the story about what God is doing on this platform. So thankful for you, my Reclamation family. And remember, guys, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.